right now in chapter seven. And before we go to chapter seven, just uh, let's have a quick uh, review of what we have done from chapter one to six, what we have seen. A quick review in chapter one, we saw that this is the revelation from Jesus Christ. And then we saw the Trinitarian God, and then we saw the glory, you know, John saw the glorious vision of our Lord Jesus Christ in chapter one. And then we had in chapter two and three, uh, the seven letters addressed, uh, the letters addressed to seven churches. Uh, we have seen each and every letter. And in chapter four, what we saw was, God seated on the throne. And uh, that's what uh, John was describing, the throne uh, in chapter 4. And in chapter 5, we saw the glorious vision of lamb because chapter 5, he begins chapter 5 saying that, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. That's how chapter 5 begins. And then the angel loudly proclaimed, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And John started weeping. Is there no one worthy to break open the scroll seals? And then uh, one of the elders will say, see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then we had the hymns of praise in chapter 5. And chapter 6, we saw the uh, opening of the scrolls, uh, seals. One by one, we saw the, you know, we said John has arranged his visions in such a way uh, he's, he's presenting it as seven visions. The first four seals as one vision. Uh, the first seal, we saw the white horse. The second seal, we saw the red, fiery red horse. The third seal, we saw black horse. And the fourth seal, it is death. Death and heads and the pale horse. So John presents this four seals, you know, opening one seal after the other as one particular one scene. And in the fifth seal, when the fifth seal was opened, we saw the martyrs, uh, the souls of the martyrs under the altar crying out, how long, Lord? How long, Lord? When are you going to avenge our blood? That's a cry in the fifth seal. And then when we came to the sixth seal, we saw sun turning black, blood turning, uh, and a moon turning blood red, and stars falling from the sky like figs dropping from a fig tree when shaken by a powerful wind. Uh, that's the kind of image. And mountains and islands being removed from its places. Uh, this, this is all happening when the sixth seal was opened. And the kings and generals and rulers and people of all classes running towards you know, mountains and rocks and crying out, trying to hide themselves in the caves and running. Mountains and rocks fall on us, fall on us. That's the way they were crying in the sixth seal. So now before the seventh seal, 
is uh, broken or open, uh, there are two comforting visions. That is what we find in chapter 7. In chapter 7, there are two visions, and uh, this interlude is, or this, this is between the sixth opening of this, uh, the sixth seal and the seventh seal. In between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, there are two visions. The first vision is from verses 1 to 8, and the second vision is from 9 to 17. Uh, why do I call these as comforting visions? Uh, because God is assuring his people that my people are secure from the plagues and judgments. Things are going to be terrible. Things are going to be difficult. But my people will be secure and safe. That, that's what uh, these comforting visions tell us. So with that as our uh, backdrop, I hope we will all be able to recollect what has happened, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, and now we are in chapter 7. So chapter 7 begins like this. After I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or any tree. Now, how do you explain four angels standing at the four corners of the earth after the end of the age, already depicted in chapter 6, 12 to 17? Uh, you can type out your answer uh, in the chat box, or you can unmute and speak, and whatever is convenient for you. I, I've told you what, hap what happens after the sixth seal, you know, it's a cosmic revulsion. Sun is becoming black and uh, moon turning red, blood red. Mm -hmm. So how do you explain this vision after the sixth seal? How do you explain four angels standing at the book? The sixth seal, it, is, it depicts the end of the age, end of the world. That's what happened after the sixth seal. Now, how do you explain this one? These are not in the chronological order. Uh, so. Yes, Pastor, you're right. Uh, we, it is, it'll, it's very dangerous to assume uh, that the order in which John writes is the order in which things will take place. Uh, listen to this carefully. It is dangerous to assume that the order in which John writes is the order in which the things he describes will happen. Uh, and here we have a notable example of that danger. As we read the book of Revelation, we should struggle and we should not say after sixth, so this comes and this is the way things will happen. Uh, it is sure that after the sixth seal, he had this vision because he says after this, after this, I had already explained that marks a new vision. It is sure, but uh, that does not mean that 
that is the sequence in which things will uh, take place. Uh, because when we come to this verse 7, it clearly was chapter 7, verse 1, it clearly shows the earth has not been harmed. There has not been any damage to the earth till now, there's now no damage. So after this, I means uh, I saw means that this vision follows the preceding one. It is true. After uh, six seal is seeing this vision, but not necessarily that the events it describes do. Uh, in other words, we should not say first this will take place, then this will take place. I have already explained a Semitic mind. Uh, in a, a Semitic mind doesn't think the way uh, the Western uh, educated mind thinks. We think in a linear order, logical fraction. Uh, one, two, three, four, logical, uh, logically we think. But that's not the way a Semitic mind uh, thinks or presents uh, the thing. So after this, yes, the vision is right. This is the vision I saw. But definitely that's not the way the things will take place. Uh, so if 6, 12 to 7, uh, it, you know, the sixth seal, it represents the end of the age. We have seen that, you know, stars falling, sun becoming black, moon turning blood red. So if sixth vision, that red, the, the sixth seal represents the end of the age, definitely this event must precede that event. Uh, it cannot happen after the sixth seal because the earth is still intact. Earth has not yet been harmed. So chronologically, if you want to put this, it should happen, uh, we can say simultaneously with the four seals, which we saw in chapter six, verses one to 12, 11, we saw those four horses. So if you are going to fit this in a chronological order, probably it should take place simultaneously alongside the fourth, uh, four horses, but definitely not after the sixth seal. Now, basically I said this is a comforting vision because in the midst of all this judgment, God is assuring his servants that they will be protected. In the entire period of tribulation, they will be protected. That's the kind of assurance uh, God gives us in and through this comforting visions. Now, the earth, sea, and trees, they suffer during the tribulation. The earth, sea, and trees, they suffer during the tribulation. Uh, how do we say that the earth, sea, and trees suffer during the tribulation? On what basis do we say this? We should think, because here the angel is telling them, you know, the, they're holding uh, the four, they're standing at the four corners of the earth, they are holding back the four winds, in other words, so that no damage uh, will take place. Uh, but how do we say that the earth, sea, and trees, they suffer during the tribulation? Uh, probably if you have uh, read the uh, book of Revelation carefully, 
Uh, we have references. In Revelation chapter 8, verses 7 to 9, the first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Basically, it talks about the destruction that will take place. Uh, destruction of earth, sea, and trees. They are going to suffer immense uh, colossal damage. Uh, that's what the verse says. So here, the four in Revelation chapter 7, verse 1, here the four angels, they are standing at the four corners of the earth. They are holding back the four wings of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or any tree. In other words, God is telling them, please wait. There is, it's not that the damage will not happen. There is a temporary suspension of the plagues that are to come. So that's what uh, this uh, vision uh, signified. Now, this is not a time for relaxation. We should not think as a time for relaxation. It is God's uh, merciful extension of the time uh, in which the winds of judgment are restrained from harming the earth or the sea or the trees until God's elect are marked with a seal. God is merciful. Even today, if destruction is not taking place the way we think, it is because God is merciful and it is not for us to sit and relax. It is to think of God's mercy and to do what God wants us to do in this world. Now, the moment you see the four winds for holding back the four winds, because in the, in the scripture, <clears throat> the four winds are always associated with God's judgment. Uh, so in Jeremiah 49, 36, I will bring against Elam the four winds from the four quarters of heaven. I will scatter them to the four winds, and there will not be a nation where Elam's exile do not go. It's God's judgment. It is God's judgment. So four winds, when we read, uh, it, it signifies uh, God's judgment. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 2, Daniel said, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. So basically, when they are holding back the four winds of the earth, that means the judgment is being held up. Our judgment is temporarily suspended for some time. Uh, that's how we should understand uh, these words. Uh, in other words, God has got complete control over the horses, over the four winds. He has complete control, and God will ensure the safety of his people. Now, this should be interesting for all of us. 
because uh, holding back the four winds of the earth. Now, some link this verse with global weather changes that's happening right now. See, that's how people start interpreting Revelation. They will come with a book and they'll write. So some link this verse with global weather changes happening right now. What do you think? Can we link Revelation chapter 7 verse 1 with the present uh, global weather changes? Uh, if you have not thought about it, uh, you know, weather changes are happening because the islands are submit them you know, the, the water level is rising and their and their very existence is in question because of the climatic changes now as we read the wildfire in california and other states in america uh, this you cannot deny that weather changes are not happening but it will be very difficult to relate such changes to this verse uh, the reason being, here in the verse it says, um, there the angels have been asked, hold back the four winds of the earth. That's what the verse says. Uh, if the winds literally stopped, if the winds literally stopped, uh, we would face immediate, terrible, and environmental consequences. What will happen if the wind stops right now? Uh, what will happen right now is uh, there'll, you know, there'll be rapid settling of tons of toxic material or tons of toxic waste that is stored in the upper atmosphere. The moment the wind stops, the toxic material will come down and it'll just suffocate life from the planet. We will not be able to live if the wind literally stops. It'll be difficult for us even to exist. So it'll be very difficult for us to link this verse with the current global weather changes. The point that we can make is God rules the cosmos. God is in charge of the atmosphere, the upper atmosphere, the sky. God is in charge of the cosmos. And he, because he's in charge, he can also protect his people from the consequences of judgments. Because there are going to be series of judgments. So God can protect his people uh, from the consequences. That's what Revelation chapter 7, 1 says. Now we'll go to uh, Revelation chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been, who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees 
until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Now, John is seeing in his vision. Now, another way, angel is coming up from the east, and that angel is having the seal of the living God. It is not just seal of God, seal of the living God. Now, like documents are sealed. Uh, when we seal a document, we just want to ensure uh, that no one no one uh, replicates or replaces the original or, uh, or starts tampering with the documents. That's the reason we seal it to ensure that we can assure the contents and there has been no tampering. So that's the way in having the seal of the living God. So the servants, God's servants were to be marked uh, with the seal of the living God. Now, if you want to understand about the seal of the living God, this has been taken from Ezekiel uh, chapter 9, 3, and 3 to 6. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 9, 3 to 6, judgment cannot take place until the foreheads of the righteous were marked. Uh, it's very clear. Then the Lord called to the man clothed in linen who had a writing kit at his side and said to him, go through all the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. As I listened, he said to the others, follow him through the city and kill without showing pity or compassion. Slaughter the old men, the young men and women, the mothers and children, but do not touch anyone who has the mark. Begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the old men who were, who were in front of the temple. This verse clearly shows us how important it is for us to pray for the salvation of people. It is, it is not an option. Go through in verse 3, clearly, four, verse 4, it clearly says, go through all the city of Jerusalem and find people living in a comfortable house. No. Uh, people who are, you know, it says, put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament. It is not just for the sake of praying. We carry the burden. We literally grieve and lament over the detestable things that are done in it. It's a very important verse for all of us. Now, in this verse also, it says, put a mark on the foreheads. It's an interesting thing. Why should a seal be put on the forehead? Why should a seal be put on the forehead? Should we ask this question or not? Should we ask this question or not? Why should a seal be put on the forehead? Because of There's some answer, Pastor Prem. Uh, from Divya. So it's visible. Yeah, she's right. Uh, the forehead was the most natural and obvious part of the body for this marking. 
because it's quite visible to everyone. That's the reason. Now, we have uh, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 15, but the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Now, with the possible exception of Genesis chapter 4, verse 15, all other Old Testament passages probably meant the sign symbolically. Uh, that's, that's the way we understand the Old Testament passages. Now, even in Ezekiel, the, child, the verse that we read, uh, it did not mean a humanly visible mark. It's not a humanly visible mark. And presumably, in Revelation also, that seal does not appear to be a humanly visible mark. And many books have been written saying that you'll have this seal and that seal. Uh, but the Bible probably does not refer to a visible seal. Now, let me ask this question, then it will become clear. Do we carry the mark of a seal? Do we carry the mark of a seal? Yes. If you say yes, then you should explain. Because we were sealed uh, the Holy Spirit? Yes, Sister Cynthia, that's right. Uh, we, and whether the seal is visible. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So even in Revelation, it's, not, it's presumably it's not talking about a visible seal. Uh, now, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 1.13, uh, we have been sealed. We are marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, God is clearly commanding uh, the angels to seal God's servants even before harming the earth, sea, or trees. Uh, that's the point here. Now, only those who have been sealed are enabled to withstand the plagues. Otherwise, it will be extremely difficult for others uh, to, to uh, withstand the plagues. Now, we, our God is a loving God. Uh, sometimes we present our God as a you know, God who is waiting to uh, punish people. That's the way sometimes we are presented. But that's not true. Even in, in the times of judgment, even when God wants to judge, he's looking for a redemptive purpose. Uh, in other words, he, his judgment is also meant at least now, at least, whether the disobedient people will repent and turn to God. And God also has to judge because he has to vindicate those who have been oppressed. That's we saw in the fifth seal. 
you know, under the altar, the souls of the martyrs were crying out, how long more, how long more? So God is a righteous judge. So he has to do this. So when, when we are talking about judgment, you know, God's heart is for you and me because he came and died for you and me on the cross. Uh, it doesn't mean that he has gone to heaven and now he has forgotten us. Uh, it's not that Lord Jesus has forgotten us. He has not forgotten us. He is heartless for us and he's crying out. And his fact, his heart is for this world. Will not people turn from evil? The only way we can overcome evil is turning to the cross. It is only at the cross we, we can overcome our own sins that's within us. The fleshly sins, our ego, our greed, our pride. It's only when we look uh, at the Savior hanging on the cross, even then we struggle. So God's heart is for humanity. Will not people turn from their wicked ways? But unfortunately, even though in the judgment time also, God is expecting people to repent. But people will not repent because in Judgment 9, 20 to 21, it says the rest of mankind who were not killed by this plague still did not repent of the work of their hands. They still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. In the, you know, we saw in the sixth seal, uh, you know, they, uh, they would rather prefer to run towards mountains and rocks and cry out, uh, please fall on us and cover us, than to go, than running to the savior. Uh, that's, that's the way, uh, you know, the sin blinds us. Uh, the sin still makes people think they are in control of their lives. It is only when we look outside of us, we are able to see this glorious God. And uh, the judgment, though it is supposed to bring about repentance, we see here that people still did not repent of the work of their hands. And God has to give justice because he's a, he's a righteous judge. And in Revelation 16, they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. He's a righteous judge. He cannot ignore the cries of the people, <clears throat> cries of the people who have been killed for their faith. He cannot ignore that. But the judgment is always for redemptive purpose that the disobedient will come to God and also God can give his justice to those uh, who have faced injustice. Now we come to Revelation chapter 7, verses 4 to 8. <clears throat> then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 1,44,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of God, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000.
from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Eshashar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. This makes it 1,44,000. Interesting number. Now, who are the 1,44,000? Who are the 1,44,000? The reason why I'm asking this question is different people interpret this number in a different way. So, what do you think? For the one lakh forty four thousand, now I don't know you are the experiences uh, with Jehovah's Witness or not. Uh, they take this number literally. Literally, they take this number and they insist it is 1,44,000. Uh, but what is the problem? You can't take one number literally and the other numbers or other symbols symbolically. Now, what is, if I say 1,44,000, I can count the heads and it will be 1,44,000. Now, what is the problem with this interpretation? They will say it's written in the Bible. See, I can show you. You open your Bible, I'll show you. It is 1,44,000. Yeah, they're right. They're right when they say that. It is 12,000 from each tribes. 12 tribes have been mentioned. So 12 into 12,000, 1,44,000. Now, what is the problem with this interpretation? Because if you take this as literally, then you need to take other things also literally. So what is the problem? The problem is when we go to Revelation chapter 14, verses 3 to 5, they, and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 1,44,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Now, if Jehovah Witness, they take that 1,44,000 literally, then they should take this verse also literally. You cannot choose one verse as literally and another verse as symbolically. This verse clearly refers to 1,44,000 Jewish adult males 
who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. Now, if Jehovah's Witness is going to take this as literally, it's only thought, it's it's like a male kingdom. The kingdom of God will be only men. That's that's the way this verse says. Now, what will happen to women? What will happen to children? So, when you take a verse literally, then you also have to see the other references, and it is in the same book, one like forty-four thousand. Now, so this clearly shows we can only take this number symbolically. We cannot take this literally, because if you take in one place literally, then in this place also you have to interpret this verse literally, and then we have several issues when we interpret this verse literally. Now, one modern writer argues that one lakh forty-four thousand cannot represent the church. I'm sure some of us must have thought that one lakh forty-four thousand represents the church. Now, one modern writer argues it cannot represent the church. On what basis does he say this? Uh, let me give you a clue. Yeah. Is answered, Pastor. Yeah. Yes, Pastor. Uh, Danny and Deepa, the number is too small. The number is too small. No, uh, okay. No, I'm asking why it, oh, its number is so small, so it cannot represent the church. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the reason. No, uh, I'm not. Uh, when you read verse 3, it says, Revelation chapter 2, 7, verse 3, it says, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And this uh, writer, he argues that, uh, that we are no longer servants of God. And he is quoting the Bible, John chapter 15, verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Now, like we saw in the earlier case, now what's the problem with this interpretation? Because if we don't think through the verses, we will accept whatever people say or whatever your pastor says we'll accept. But as children of God, it is our duty to use our mind, think through the verse. Otherwise, we will just blindly be following uh, somebody's interpretation. Now, he's saying that this number does not represent the church, and he's quoting the Bible verse. It is true, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. 
Now, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, he says, put it until I put a seal on the foreheads of God's servants. So, if I show you only John 15, 15 and Revelation 7, 3, I can easily say, oh, it does not represent the church. But there is a problem with this interpretation. The problem is, in Revelation chapter 1, 1, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. He's calling the apostle John as servant John. So what the modern writer says is not right. And in Revelation 22.3, it says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. So does it mean the church will not be there at all? So the interpretation is wrong. No, standing before him are 1,44,000. That is 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Now, this is a number, a full number of God's servants. This also uh, signifies the restoration of Israel's restoration, because we know what has happened in the Old Testament. So it is talking about the restoration of the remnant 12 tribes. God has not forgotten his tribes. God has not forgotten the, his promises. Uh, he is not weak that he cannot fulfill his promises. But uh, he's talking about the restoration of the remnant of the 12 tribes. Now the question is, uh, if you have noted, uh, if you have noticed those uh, 12 tribes uh, in this list, Dan, Dan is missing. The tribe of Dan is not mentioned. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Jebulun, Joseph, Benjamin. So Dan is not mentioned. Uh, yeah, somebody has given the answer, I think. No, but okay. Now, um, the tribe of Dan is not mentioned because of the tradition. Yeah, there's an answer. Uh, Divya said judges. Yeah, judges. Yes, that's one of the reasons. Uh, uh, I have quoted Genesis. We'll go to judges. I'll come to judges. Uh, in Genesis 49.7, it says, Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heel so that its rider tumbles backward. So the tradition uh, says that Antichrist would arise from the tribe of Dan. Now, this is tradition. Eh? Uh, now, now, some scholars will say why Dan in particular is chosen for omission because his name was not omitted in the biblical prophets. His name is still there. Now, in Ezekiel 48, 1 to 2, 
these are the tribes listed by name at the northern frontier. Dan will have one portion. It will follow the Hethlon road to Lebo Hamath, Hazar Henan, and the northern border of Damascus next to Hamath will be a part of its border from the east side to the west side. Asha will have one portion. It will border the territory of Dan from east to west. So some scholar says, why omit Dan alone? Because Dan is not omitted uh, in the prophetic books. Now, many scholars will point out Dan's association with idolatry. Uh, that's why we have Judges 18.30. Many scholars, uh, more scholars, they point out uh, Dan's association with idolatry and that's why it has been omitted. There the Danites set up for themselves the idol and Jonathan son of Gershom, the son of Moses and his son were priests for the tribe of Dan until the time of the captivity of the land. Uh, they were idolatrous. Uh, in First King uh, 12, 28 to 30, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One is set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Now, this test, uh, this explanation makes sense. Uh, could be because of their idolatry practice, but then it doesn't fully satisfy uh, because the text definitely, when you see, when we look at Genesis 49:17, uh, definitely the text says, hard things about Dan, but the text also says hard things about others. So why Dan in particular? Now, there is a kind of thought, the Jewish people, they thought that Dan will repent. Uh, that, is, that was their belief, that their understanding that Dan will repent. Now, because of these kind of uh, thoughts, uh, people, others say that Probably this omission uh, was only uh, at random because they had to accommodate Manasseh and Ephraim. Ephraim's name is, uh, it comes under Joseph. So they have to accommodate, they have to accommodate. So it is only, uh, it was random. So one tribe had to be omitted in order to include Levi, Manasseh and Ephraim separately. So somehow they have to make the figure of 12. Now the question is, probably if somebody had to be omitted, uh, see if, you, if the 11 players are to play in the football match, and uh, if there are 12 players, uh, if you have to omit, normally you omit the weakest player. So in any game, if uh, so, the weakest one you will omit. So same way, probably uh, Dan has got more negative associations than others. So that's the reason Dan was omitted first. Uh, now, because in Genesis 49, 17, 
uh, we saw dance association with a serpent. Now, some of us can extend that interpretation uh, in a different direction. See, in Genesis 49.17, Dan is associated with a viper snake. In Jeremiah 8.16-17, it says, The snorting of the enemy's horses is heard from Dan. At the neighing of their stallions, the whole land trembles. They have come to devour the land and everything in it, the city and all who live there. See, I will send venomous snakes among you, vipers that cannot be chunked, and they will bite you, declares the Lord. Now, we can extend this still further and go to the serpent of Eden. We can go to Genesis 3, and we say it is, it's devil. And when we come to Revelation 12, 9, it clearly says that the great dragon was hurled on that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now, we can give different kinds of explanation. Uh, we may not be very sure. Now, this omission of Dan may be incidental. Uh, we are not sure. In case if his omission is not incidental and it is on a purpose, then it provides a warning that even those who seem certain to be saved may not appear in the final number if they fail to persevere. Uh, if it is not incidental, if the omission is not incidental, we can reasonably say it provides a warning that even those who seem certain to be saved may not appear in the final number if they fail to persevere. We can say that. Now, the 12 tribes represent, uh, symbolize the new Israel, the Christian church. It symbolizes the Christian church. Now, each individual is marked on the forehead with a seal. Uh, and the seal is very meaningful to the people uh, in the East because the Eastern king used to always authenticate his documents with the signet ring. So when he authenticates with his signet ring, uh, he says, this belongs to me. It is my property. In the same way, when 1,44,000 were sealed, it was a sign that they belonged to God. So because they belonged to God, they were, under the, they were under the power and protection of God. Because God has put a seal on their forehead, he will also protect them because they belong to God. Now, when we say the protection, God will protect us, we should not think the protection, um, the protection is definitely not physical uh, because people who have that seal will also die, but it is spiritual. It doesn't talk about a physical protection as such, but it talks about a spiritual protection. Now, 144,000 uh, symbolizes the completeness 
of the number. In other words, not one of the redeemed will be missing. That's all. We don't have to literally count 1,44,000. It only signifies not one of the redeemed will be missing. Uh, and we should also remember as this is something we don't uh, we don't associate ourselves or we don't think too much into this that our heritage when God deals with us we should also remember God's dealings with patriarchs and prophets because they are our spiritual ancestors when God redeems us it is a continuation of what he has promised to the prophets and patriarchs. So when we talk about uh, Christian heritage, it is basically our Jewish heritage. Uh, we, we have, as Gentile Christians, we have not replaced Israel. We have not replaced but or we have not made israel as an obsolete they no longer count we are not made them as a non-entity we have been crafted into israel's heritage alongside jewish christians our ancestry comes from the jewish uh, patriarchs and the prophets we have not replaced and we should not uh, dealing ourselves. It's talking about 12 tribes. It's talking about the large church. And because we have been crafted into Israel, so we should not forget the heritage that we have. Now, what are the lessons we can learn uh, up to now? That's from Revelation chapter 7, uh, from verses 1 to 8. Are there any lessons for us? Uh, we can quickly draw out three lessons. The first lesson is God uses as his army. Uh, I didn't get into those detailed the senses of, you know, how the soldiers, how the people were counted in, in the Old Testament. So God uses as his army, uh, but it is not to take a weapon and kill people. We can only triumph through sharing the Lamb's suffering. We can only overcome evil with our goodness. We have not been called to shoot others. We have not been called to kill others. We have been called to wash the feet of one another. Uh, so we, we will triumph. We will succeed only when we serve and when we share the lamb's suffering, God nowhere says that I'll protect you from suffering. We will have trials, we will have problems, but we should have the right attitude when we face this. So because we belong to God, we have nothing to fear. Because God is sovereign over his creation. He can protect us from plagues. We don't have to fear. We don't have to fear. If God knows the number of hairs on my head, I don't have to sit and fear my death. Uh, we don't have to fear because God is sovereign over his creation. 
he knows and god uh, knows his people so when god when god seals us he proudly marks us as his own don't you think we should be excited that we belong to god and god is not ashamed to call us as his children this should be a privilege we should not take it casually god calling you and me as his child we should not take it lightly that should give us assurance and just the purpose and motivation to live in this world for his glory and for his honor uh, i finished revelation chapter 7 verses 1 to 8 uh, if you have any questions you can ask now from pastor silvanus uh, pastor in the list of 12 tribe the tribe of manasseh is mentioned but the tribe of ibrahim is missing why joseph is being uh, mentioned in place of ephraim manasseh ephraim so joseph's name is there i presume that you have all understood very well i'm happy <laughs> there are no more questions i presume if there are any questions you can ask otherwise we'll close the session thank uh shall we all say this prayer together to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power for ever and ever lord you are seated on the throne and that gives us confidence assurance and a sense of direction we will always look to you oh god the steps we need to take it is not what i desire but what you desire in and through my life we commit our lives into your hands bless each and every one who has taken part in this bible study continue to minister to them bless them speak to them oh lord in a way they can hear you in a way they can discern your presence reveal yourself as you reveal to apostle john i pray you will also reveal to each and every one of us we bless your name amen may the grace of our lord jesus christ unfailing love of our heavenly father and the sweet communion of the holy spirit remain with each one of us now and forevermore amen God bless you all thank you pastor thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you pastor thank you pastor thank you have a blessed time thank you thank you pastor thank you thank you